All right, so I'm going to read from Isaiah 53. Yeah, a very familiar passage, very familiar passage. Um, it, but it's, it's considered the, the, one of the first Gospels, the, the book of Isaiah is. And so it's, it really does have the Gospel all through it. And it's truly amazing passage. It's probably one of all of our favorite passages is Isaiah 53. It's so amazing. So I'm going to read this just to get us started and thinking about the Gospel and what it is that Jesus really did for us. So Isaiah 53, starting verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So here, right off the bat, we see the call of the gospel. This is that external call that we talked about last week. He's saying, how many people have... Hey, Jeff. How many... We're, um, we're reading over Isaiah 53, just to get us started. So, yeah, Isaiah 53. So we hear this external call of the gospel right off the bat in this text. Verse 2 says, For he, this is talking about Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. This is talking about us. This isn't just them. This is all of us, the state that we once were in. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows because he had to face the cross. And this is why he sweated drops of blood before he died. Because God put, placed all of our sins up on him. It was a tremendous weight that he had to take. A perfectly innocent person. A perfectly innocent God who took every sin of every believer who was ever going to be born took upon his shoulders. He, he really was a man of sorrow and he was acquainted with grief, even the way that he was treated by the people of that day and still today. And like one, of, and like one from who, whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him. Isn't that amazing? Our well-being. Have you ever thought about that? The world thinks that they have their best interest at heart whenever they can live the life, the life that they choose to live. But we understand that our well-being is to be in Christ, is to be a Christian, because it's this life is eternal. We're either eternally going to belong to Christ, or we're going to be eternally in a place called hell that's awful. And, and, and so God created us in a way that we are going to be eternal creatures, and we're, we can our well-being is to be in Christ, to, to love Jesus with all of our hearts. And he says, here, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, all of us, it says, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's such an amazing verse. That Jesus Christ caused the iniquity of all of us, each person sitting in this room, to fall upon his shoulders. That's amazing. 
Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. I need to learn that. <laughs> By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. That's us. How many people want to be his offspring? That's us. Such an amazing, amazing gift. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge and the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. I mean, how many people can't, wouldn't be affected by this. I mean, it's it's so amazing what God has done. That's why the, the gospel is so powerful. Um, it's so powerful for us to understand what it is that Christ did for us and went to the cross to die for us so that we could be made right before our holy God. It's such an amazing gift and something that we should really uh, keep in mind and be focused on on any study that we do um, because God really is always the hero. He is always the hero. So uh, we always want to start talking, start out our study talking about the gospel just to be reminded of who Jesus is and why it's so important to get to know him. Why it's so important um, because he loved us so much and he knows each one of us perfectly. And so we all want to, to get to know him as the very best way that we possibly can. And so we're doing this attributes of, um, of God's study to try to help us to, to better love Him, really. It's what it's all about. And so we can, when we go to the Scriptures and we read, we can understand it, who He is and what it is that He's done for us. So we've been going through the study on the wills of God. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the decreed will of God. And if you remember, the decreed will of God is that which God um, has decreed that is hidden something that he has not made known to us. Um, but at some point, God sometimes does reveal that after it has happened, after it's taken place. We talked about the perceptive will of God, and that is this word right here. This is it's the word of, of, of God. It's this book. It's the perceptive will of God, and the way that God has communicated to us, the way that he expects us to live, and everything that's good, everything that is for our well-being, right? Kind of what we read about in, in um, Isaiah. Uh, that's why that he's given us this book, is because it is for our well-being. Sometimes our nature goes against that after the fall, after the curse. Our nature sometimes wants to, to rise up 
and be our own person. Uh, even as Christians, sometimes that happens. That's why we sin. That's why we sin sometimes. But the thing about it, being a Christian is that we know that we always, we always re- regret that because we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so it causes, he causes us to repent. He, I, I do that a lot. <laughs> I do that a lot because uh, I'm, I'm all the time messing up. And so we also talked about the, the passive will of God in that God is, has to be a pa- passive in the way that he allows things to happen because he's in control, he's sovereign. So you cannot say that anything is outside of God's control. Uh, God can take us out. He can stop us from sinning. So in such, in such a way, he has to step back and allow certain things to happen or they could not happen. And of course, God uses all those things for the good of those who love him. He causes all of these things that happen, sins and evil, even wickedness. And I mean, we can look at Pharaoh. We can look at, there's many examples throughout Scripture to see how that God took wicked people or things that was meant for wicked such as Joseph being sold into slavery and God says but I you know I, I, I caused something good to come out of it and so that just reinforces that what we know that God causes all things to work together for those who love him right so that's um, that's understanding the passive will of God we've been talking a little bit about how does God speak to us today um, and we've discovered that it's the perceptive will of God it's the scripture it's the Bible We've talked about how that the canon is closed and the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient for everything that we need in this life. God didn't forget anything. He didn't forget to tell us something and um, had to rise up new prophets and new apostles today to tell us things that we didn't already know. So we know that the Bible is sufficient in everything that we need to know in this life. And um, later we're going to be talking about how that God moves us how that he directs us, he steers us, and this is by uh, what's called his providence. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells us and moves us to action, right? That's the, the, way, the way that God works through us and moves us to doing certain things and acting out our gifts that God has given each one of us. And uh, that's an amazing, amazing thing, how that we have been given, some of us have been given many gifts to, to use for the purpose of glorifying God and being a part of the unity of the body of Christ, right? Some of us may be a finger, some of us may be a nose, but we're all different parts of the body of Christ that comes together, that works as a whole, right? As long as we're all acting in those gifts, and that's, that's why that at, we come to church and we're challenged by Brandon and by Rick and by anybody who teaches that's a, that tries to challenge each one of us to act upon the gifts that God has given us to use for the benefit of the glory of God and the, and the body of Christ. So, um, last week, we had a question that was raised up about heavenly experiences. And so, I said that we would talk about that. And so, I think it fits into our study because it fits into the sufficiency of Scripture and, it, and the way that God speaks to us, to us today. Um, so, uh, is, the bi- is the canon closed? Is the Bible sufficient? Is the Bible enough? Is the Bible enough for everything that we need? And so, there's a lot of books 
Uh, and even, I think they even made a movie recently about these heavenly experiences that people claim that they've seen. And there's this, this is a big topic. There's a lot of things that I could say about that. Um, but it's kind of strange that most of these books are not full of how amazing and wonderful and glorious that God is. Instead, they're full of these little details, right? Details that are extra biblical, things that's not found in scripture. And they're more about the person's experience and how they felt and how that they perceived and how amazing that this feeling or euphoria was. It's what almost all of these books have in common. And that's a different reaction than what we see in scripture whenever we see people who, who have actually met God face to face. We look at Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, and what did Isaiah do? He fell down on his face before God, right? And he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he, ta- he goes on to talk about how that, he says, I am undone. And, and when you look at the Hebrew word, that word means like, like you take um, a garment and you're unraveling it. Is what that actually means. It means that it felt like his body was being pulled apart. It wasn't something pleasant. It's the way that he felt being in the presence of God. Because God is so holy. Even the angels couldn't look upon God. They had to cover their face with their wings. Remember? They had Because the, the glory of God was so powerful for them. So when we read these books, we don't see that kind of thing. The, the holiness of God and the way the reaction of, of the way that people responded whenever they were in the, the presence of God. I've got a couple <coughs> verses um, <coughs> that I wrote down. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. John 3.13 says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then we have two people in the New Testament who actually got to, to see heaven. Uh, they actually got to see God. One was John, and one was Paul. One was Paul. And Paul, he writes about it in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, says this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up, to the third heaven and I know how such a man whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know God knows was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words and here it is which a man is not permitted to speak which a man is not permitted to speak he says here on behalf of such a man I will boast But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For if I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So Paul, Paul's experience, first of all, he says, I'm not even allowed to talk about this. I can't talk about this. I'm not permitted to. Um, that's the first thing we see. And the other thing we see is, is he, do, he doesn't even want to claim that it was him. He says, I know a man 
right? He doesn't even want to claim because he's, he's afraid he's going to be full of pride. He's, he's going to be filled with pride and be able to boast and say, look at me. You know, I'm the man who actually went to heaven. You listen to what I say. And he, he's so afraid of, of pride entering into his heart that he doesn't even want to take credit for it, right? This is the type of reaction that we see in Scripture. We don't see people... Um, coming and writing, writing books about, about this. We also we have examples of people who died and was resurrected, and you never hear any stories like from Lazarus and such. We, you don't hear anything from these guys. Um, so this falls within that, um, what we've been talking about, is the Bible sufficient? Is the canon closed? Um, what would be the purpose of these things? John was the only other example in scripture in the book of revelation and the only reason john wrote it was because jesus commanded him to write it down remember in the in the very first chapter of the book of revelation jesus appears to him and what happens he falls on his face before god he's petrified he's scared and jesus says he puts his hand on his shoulder and he tells him everything's going to be okay but i want you to write down everything that i say and so john was commanded to write the book of Revelation. That's why we have it. It's an amazing thing. So, um, <clears throat> something that that I believe is is the culprit in these books and stuff like this is, of course, big money. Big money. It's very profitable because people love to hear about that. They want um, they want more than what the Bible says, right? So they want uh, they they're willing to pay a lot of money. And these people that write these books and make these movies, they make a lot of money. And there's been a few of them that have come forth later on and said, I made it up. I made it up. But I'll keep my money. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep my money. That's right. That's right. Of course, we also have fame, too. Money and fame. You get really popular when you start writing books about heaven about how you experienced heaven. Uh, you're going to be a bestseller, and I think we know that. So, um, But as a result, it deals with the sufficiency of Scripture. It also leads to mysticism, because you're, you're dealing with things. I mean, I, I've read some, and whenever you, when you start looking at the doctrine and the theology that's inside of these books, it's mystical, it's highly mystical, and it leads to things that are not in the scripture and it can lead to things such as the new age movement um, and things that are cultish that's outside of scripture that's anything anytime you get outside of the sufficiency of scripture and that the canon is closed then you're opening yourself up to a world of of what the cults are i mean th that's why that we hold to this canon we say it's it's closed and if somebody says anything to me that's outside of this book I don't believe it I don't believe it I'm going to um, I may hear you out and I may I may not re, re, you know rebuttal someone whenever they say something uh, but I'm not going to believe it I'm not going to believe it if it's outside of this book great so um, so that's one of the things we have to ask ourselves too you know whenever we're, we're talking on this on this top on this topic and I think it's so important and it's one you know there's I was talking to Steve about this a few weeks ago but there's certain milestones that when you look back in your life as a Christian 
there's certain things that really stand out, or at least there is in my life. There's really three major milestones in my life. And uh, the second milestone is uh, when I read a book by John Piper, and he asked a question in that, in that book, and he says, what would you do if, um, if you could be in heaven? Could you be happy if you was in heaven with every person that you've ever loved in this life? with every family member that you've ever loved, with your children, with your, with your kids, your grand, grandmother, everybody that you've ever loved in this life, all of your friends, could you be happy if you were there with them, but Jesus wasn't? I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Jesus wasn't there. Would you be happy? Would you be okay with that? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a question that I think we all should ask and say, what's this all about? You know, what's this all about? Is it is it really about heaven, or is it really about Christ? Right? Because our prize isn't heaven. Our prize is Jesus. Our that's our prize, right? And so that's the thing that we should always be focused on. And that's something that you don't see in a lot of these books. So is there any questions? That, that was a, the only reason I went over that is because the question was asked. I said we're going to address it. And it does tie in to the sufficiency of Scripture. It absolutely does. Any thoughts or questions? or Have you guys experienced anything from anybody or any comments? Good. All right, all right, very good. So let's jump back in our study. Um, so we've been kind of walking through the 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 reason um, that the that there was all these amazing gifts and things in Scripture, and and how does God speak to us today? Um, we left off on page forty nine. I think it's on forty nine in your book. Is there is Hebrews one one through two on page forty nine in your book? Okay. So I'm just going to read this. It says God. After he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. So this is something that we need to keep in mind at all times, is the way that God speaks to us is through this book right here, the book that he authorized. It was God breathed through the prophets. Um, There's not prophets or apostles today. This is the way that God speaks to us. And then in the next um, verse here says, 2 Peter 1, 16 uh, through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. I've got that bolded because it's important. Mm -hmm. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What an experience, right? This is a, this is a huge experience. Can you imagine being there? Massive. They saw, they heard a voice from heaven. But what does he say here? So we have the prophetic word made more sure. <laughs> made more sure. I've got this highlighted and underlined. So in other words, this book is more sure 
than anybody's experiences. And we've talked about how that there, last week we talked about experiences. We talked about it doesn't matter what uh, religion you're a part of, uh, everybody ha has experiences. If you've ever watched, I brought it up last week, but it's really interesting to watch a Hindu service. Um, it really is. It looks just like a charismatic service. It's, it's, it's spooky whenever you look at it. But because they speak in tongues, they, you know, they roll around the floor, they convulse and jerk, they do all those things. It's, it's kind of frightening whenever you see it. Um, but the, even the apostles themselves says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure than our own experiences, than what we saw and what we heard, right? To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So I've got a uh, basically a, a summary for what I just said here. It says, what better experience could there be than seeing the transfiguration of, of Jesus, of seeing the majesty of Christ, but Peter says that the prophetic word is more sure than what he saw with his own eyes and experienced with Christ himself, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So this is just a, an important point. That, and I bring it up because we're talking about how that God speaks to us today. Um, you can't go wrong with this book. You can't go wrong with this book. There's many other ways to go wrong, but you can't go wrong right here. So this is how God speaks to us today. And I've got a question here. It says, does God lead you and direct your path? And that's a question. Does God lead you and direct your path? Simple answer. Yes. Yes. He does, and we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the class. Um, we talked about that. We talked about the the providence, yeah, the providence of God and the Holy Spirit that indwells us, and He's the one that sets us to action. We're going to talk about the providence of God. We got a whole chapter when we get to it, but this is just some previews because all this stuff begins to come together, and it's really cool when you start seeing how that all these different attributes of God and how that he interacts with us, it comes together in such an amazing way when we start seeing all of these little details. And so that's what we've been trying to do is, is build this up so that we can, can have a, a, a bigger picture of that. The Old Testament saints realized that the law of God flowed from his perfect character. This is why they delighted in following it. We're talking about his preceptive will, right? They delighted in following this book. And David in the, in the book of Psalms is a key example in the way that he delighted in the law of the Lord, right? And in, in this law, he meditates day and night, and you become like a tree planted, right? And so he goes on and on to talk, talking about how amazing that the law is because um, he understood that this is what forms him and shapes him and, and teaches him to be who the God has called him to be as a believer, right? So, of course, we, we make the distinction that we understand we cannot be saved by the law, right? But the law is vitally important as a believer, already saved, right? We're not talking about the way that we get saved. The law can only condemn us. That's all it can do until we're Christians. And when we become Christians, it's what helps us to grow, to become more Christ-like, right? And so that's one of the things, the law has three purposes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, um, 
It says we must learn how to apply the law of God and use it to direct the decisions that we make in this life. This is talking about that question that everybody asks. You know, Rick, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, how do I know the will of God for my life? <laughs> right? How do I know the will of God for my life? It's the question that so many people ask. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about what the, God tells us what the will, what his will is for our lives, and that's to be sanctified. That's to be sanctified. And that's sometimes not an adequate answer because people want details. They want specifics. What they're doing is they're trying to pry out the hidden will of God. Right? They're trying to pry out that, that thing that God has shut his mouth concerning until it happens to us. Um, that's why some people turn to fortune tellers and to psychics and to you know, all kinds of things that are not from God. It just shows disbelief. If we believe God and we trust God and we know that God is good and God is right and God is faithful and God has your best interest and well-being in his mind at all times, then are we going to trust him with tomorrow? Are we going to trust him with who we're going to marry? Are we going to make the wrong decision? If we're really his child and we're comparing who we marry to this book, we're saying, you know, I've got, I can marry Bob or Dave. Well, which one, Bob or Dave, is going to help to help you to grow in your sanctification? Which, when we compare, we have to compare Bob and Dave to this book. That's how we know the will of God, right? We talked uh, also about work. You know, so many people say, well, what job do I take? Well, which one's going to help you grow in your sanctification? You know, are, are you going to take the, the job at the strip club or are you going to take the job at the church, right? I think it's pretty obvious that which one of those jobs is going to help us to grow in our sanctification. So that's how that we know the will of God. That's, that's kind of what this is talking about. So God wasn't, he wasn't obligated really to give us any knowledge of, of himself from his own mind. He wasn't obligated to give us this book. That's what makes it so amazing because he did. So he gave us all of this knowledge about himself and about us and how that we're supposed to live on the pages of this book for our children. How we're supposed to be parents, how we're supposed to be husbands, how we're supposed to be wives, how we're supposed to be friends, how we're supposed to be good, faithful churchmen to this church. And in all things that, that we interact with as Christians, he tells us what to do in this book. Um, we looked at Deuteronomy back at the very beginning of this when we talked about the in Deuteronomy 29 29 where it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever and then it says that we may observe all the words of this law that we may observe all the words of this law that's why he gave us this book it's really a privilege it's an amazing privilege this is the greatest gift that the world's ever been given and it's right here in our hands it's it's such an amazing thing that God has given us everything that we need to know and I've got the point here it says most people when asking the question what is the will of God for my life are asking for a knowledge of the future so a knowledge of the future outside of biblical prophecies hidden and we talked about that if you want to know what's pleasing to God what it, what, how that he's going to bless you, then we have to be looking at his perceptive will. We have to be looking at this book and making sure that we're aligning with it. And it's so important, so important. So this is where we're going to talk a little bit about the three reasons for God's law that's on page 51. 
Number one, reason for God's law is for the sinner to understand that they need a Savior. That's what the primary purpose is of the law. We don't really, you know, any, I say that any gospel presentation is really lacking without some form of law and gospel. You, you really have to have law and gospel in any, any good gospel presentation because you have to understand that God is holy and that you've offended Him because He's perfect and His law is perfect and you have to be perfect in order to stand before Him without being condemned. You have to understand that. You also have to understand the gospel and this that Jesus Christ did that for you and that He bore your sins upon the cross. So that's, that's, just, that's an important part of the law and the law should be a part of really any good gospel presentation. Um, the second reason is for believers to grow in holiness. It's that progressive sanctification that we've been talking about. I've mentioned, I was telling Steve, sometimes things rattle around in my head and they don't get work their way all the way out of my mouth. <laughs> so that happens pretty frequently. Um, for two, two different weeks, I, I mentioned there's three different um, ways that, that degrees of sanctification, and I never have mentioned the third one. I've talked about the first one, which is that we're sanctified when, we, when we're justified, but we're not fully sanctified. We're fully justified when we become a Christian, 100%, but we're not fully sanctified. We're growing in sanctification, and that's what the number two thing is, is we're becoming more Christ-like. That's why that we're not perfect. That's why that we all have sin in our lives. Uh, that's why there's things that we're working on, right? That's that progressive sanctification. And number three, I'm going to mention it. I'm just going to mention it. Glorification. Glorification. That's whenever we're finally with our actual glorified bodies in heaven and we cannot sin. Can you imagine that? I can't. I mean, I, I can't imagine being incapable of sinning but I so look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, I really do. That's that's going to be awesome. So, um, a great, a great thing that God's doing for us. So I've got a question here. It says, "Do you want to know the will of God for your life?" Let's look at Psalm one nineteen. Who wants to read Psalm? Who wants to read this? Psalm one nineteen, starting in ninety seven. Any volunteers? Rick. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey in my mouth. For your precepts, uh, from your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Yeah, that's the will of God for our, for our lives. It's amazing that he says, therefore I hate every false way, because he has the truth. He has the truth of God's word. You can't go wrong with that, right? The law of God, he meditates on these things all day. So um, that's, that's a good example for us. 
It's much easier to seek some mystical experience to guide us through life than it is to apply ourselves diligently to the study of the Word of God and to learn how to apply what we learn to every decision that we make. It really is easier to seek some mystical experience. It's easier to go to, to a psychic you know, or to, to have, you know, to, to, to pray for God to, to give you an audible voice or to give you a vision or things. Um, it, it, it takes work. It takes work to do any good biblical exp- exposition. It takes work to study the Bible. You know, I always like to bring up something that Brandon said. And Brandon did said he said something today that was really good, you know. And me and Brandon have talked privately about this, about these one-year Bible plans. I mean, they're they're okay, you know, for for somebody who is is not um, hasn't been a Christian for very long and a believer. But really, we should, as believers, we should take smaller sections of Scripture. And really try to understand what God's saying us. We're saying to us, we're not in a hurry. We, there's no reason to, covering more real estate doesn't really always help us. It's, it kind of gives us a general overview. But if you really want to grow in in your sanctification and you really want to know God and understand Him in a better way, we don't need to get in a hurry when we're reading our Bibles. We need to take time and read it several times, like Brandon mentioned today. <coughs> read it over. You know, read it. Pray. Read it again. If you don't understand it, pray and read it again. And read it again. Read it until you understand what it's talking about. And then move on and do the next section the same way. And that's how that we, we can learn. It, it takes work. It does. It, it's not easy. But we're not called to an easy task as Christians. That's why they, that we're told to count the cost. Right? Count the cost. Um, so, But sometimes we... We want to do things the easy way, and so many people do. Uh, so many people do. So sometimes when people ask what the will of God is for their lives, what they mean is, how can I get the will of God to conform to what I want to do? <laughs> ah, yeah, can, I say, can I say something, Mike? Yeah. Because you make a real good point here. When you seek a mystical experience, you're, you're displaying something to God, and that is that the first part... Of verse 97, oh, how I love your law. You're displaying that that's not satisfying to you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You're not satisfied with God's law, with God's word. You want something more. Yeah. You want a mistress. Yeah. yeah. It's an experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And actually, it's, it's a cover-up. I've been around some people like that, and it's just like a way of explaining why they are what they are without taking responsibility for their life. Uh, they don't have to to know. It's just a bunch of words. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing, too. I mean, that's that's is blindness. It is. Uh, they're not really looking for an answer. It's just a way for them to respond to somebody. I'm this way. And it's almost like saying, I'm this way, and you're just going to have to accept it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Those are good points. Those are good points. I got a question here. It says, "What happens when we study God's word?" There's a number of qu- number of answers to this, but what happens when we study God's word? What should it do to us? Inform us of who God is. Hmm. Inform us of who God is. Yeah. Which does what? 
Yeah, it changes us, don't it? Yeah. That's right. That's right. When we read God's Word, it changes us. It changes us. That's what it does. Um, it causes us to conform to the image of Christ. If we're believers. If we're believers. So, and I know that there's some people that that are not, that are not believers yet, that read the Bible. You know, I've I had an interesting experience one time, you know, uh, I had my pastor at the church back in Arkansas I was going to, and he wanted me to go with him door to door and witness to people and tell people the gospel. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. So we'd pick out a neighborhood and we would just go knock on people's door. And sometimes, you know, we'd get yelled at, sometimes we'd get ran off and, you know, all kinds of stuff, but we did it. Um, we was knocking on somebody's door one time, and there was a guy, I could see him across the road, and nobody answered this door. And I looked over, and I saw him running in his garage. <laughs> he probably thought we were Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't know. And so he, he went running in his garage, and I was like, that guy's home. So we went over there, and we knocked on his door, and he actually answered. He came out, and he was kind of a strange guy. He had, um, all of his toenails were painted different colors. He was kind of a strange dude. <laughs> and we got to talking to him and witnessing him and telling him the gospel, telling him who God was. And he said, he said, you know what? He said, I read the Bible every night. He said, but I'm agnostic. I don't believe in God. And then he started going and mentioning scriptures to refute us. So he was trying to use God's word against me and against my pastor. And everything he said was out of context, and it wasn't right. And what I realized was that this man, he read the Bible every night not to learn, but to be okay with his sins because he wanted to refute it. He didn't want to believe in God. Because if he believed in God, he would have to change his lifestyle. And he didn't want to do that. His sin was too important to him. So there are people that do that. There are people that do that. It was a... It was an interesting conversation, I can tell you. <laughs> we went all kinds of... He actually said he used to be a youth pastor, by the way. Oh. He was a youth pastor at a Baptist church oh. that didn't believe in God. <laughs> yep. Yep. It goes back to the necessity of the Holy Spirit, though. Because, I mean, I know people even in my own family, many, many years ago, and I'd talk about reading the Bible, and they'd be like, you know, I've tried that, and I've look at the words and it's just like salad you know here's a, a leaf of this and but they don't yeah. make any sense to me you know yeah. and praise god they get it now yeah but there is like a spiritual blindness until the holy spirit you know opens our eyes mm -hmm. yep. our yeah. that's right that's right and when he does then we can't read it without it changing us we can't we can't do it like when I was a Mormon, I used to read the Bible all the time. That's what it was to me. I mean, as sincere as I was, it, it never made any sense. I couldn't. I mean, I knew the stories of Moses and things like that, but the rest of it, it never made any sense. But when I became a believer, then it just all fell into place. And I think God was, in a way, protecting me so that I, that I couldn't see anything, so that I wouldn't think that I was in the right place. You know? Yeah. It, it was just, he left it blank because yeah, yeah. that's not where I should be right. in that religion yeah yeah, absolutely it's amazing isn't it 
it's amazing. The other thing I was thinking about when you were talking, you know, about seeking these other experiences, is Adam and Eve, you know, they had fellowship with God walking That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but the adversary came along and said, you know, there's a quicker way. That's right. An easier way. And God's holding out on you. So, you know, do this. And I think most sin, I want to say all sin, but I, you know, that's pretty global. <laughs> that sin, the promise of sin is that you will, it will fulfill you in a way that God isn't, if you really think about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And now we have the Bible to walk with God every day, mm -hmm. but it takes effort. It and takes patience. effort. It does. And it's yes. not always pleasant to come unraveled. It's not. Like you were saying. It's not. It's not. It takes a lot of work, and and sometimes it tells us things that we wish it didn't. <laughs> 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 but but that's for our own good, right? Mm -hmm. That's for our own good. So. First Thessalonians four three through eight says, "For this is the will of God." your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgresses and defraud his brother in a matter, because the, the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the will of God for your life, is to grow in sanctification, to be this. And, you know, talking about things that, um, that we may not always want to always, always read, um, how many people here sometimes want to avenge ourselves? <laughs> That's one of those things that we read and we go, oh man, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's things in there like that. So there's a, on page 52, we're going to talk about the last will of God that there's, other things that we could talk about, but these are just some of the ones that I thought were important. Um, we've talked about three. This is actually the fourth one. It's called the dispositional will of God. And again, just like any of the wills of God, there's other names that some people have labeled it. Um, I always like to talk about theological terms. These are ones that um, that are, are more commonly known. But, but there's some people that haven't had good theological training, and they may just call it something else, you know, and, and go about. But um, what do we mean by God's dispositional will? So what's a disposition? And what, what would that mean to God's will in the way that he, that his countenance, so to speak? Any thoughts or ideas on that? Without reading and cheating? Without reading ahead, it describes God's attitude towards something, and it tells us <clears throat> what pleases God and what does not. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. 
it's it's the way that God sees His creation, right? It's the way that um, He wishes that none of His creation should perish, but that all should have eternal life. That's His disposition, right? He, that's the way that that He sees all of us, the, the all of the world. This could be called the desire of God, also, what God's desire is for His creation. Um, many people get confused with the, with verses in the Bible dealing with God's disposition. And I've got an example here: First Peter three nine. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, if we mix up the different wills of God and we say, well, this is dec- God's decreed will. Then what would happen? What would this? What would be the ramifications of this verse, if it was God's decreed, which is cannot, which is something that will that shall come to pass, that nobody can stop it shall come to pass as God's decreed will. If this was God's decreed will, we could really take this verse out of context because what would that mean? Everybody goes to hell. Everybody. Yeah. There's nobody that goes to hell. Right, so that's why that we have to distinguish between the different types of wills of God when we start reading through these verses. Right, um, so this is also something that's not prescribed or or perceptive. Uh, it is perceptive, but it's it's something that shows more of His disposition or the the way that his, what His will is for mankind. Ezekiel 18, who wants to read this? Ezekiel 18, 21 through 23. Any volunteers on that? Steve, would you read? But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness which he has practiced he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Yeah. God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that, that shows what his disposition is. That's his countenance. That's the way that he views his creatures as he doesn't take pleasure in these things. So in verse 23 it says, God asks a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather, he takes pleasure in saving the wicked. So that's, um, that's something that we should understand. It, he, God is always the hero, too. He's always the one. We can't take credit for any of these things. It's impossible for the wicked to turn. Um, but it's God's disposition that they do turn. But if they do not turn, then he's going to give them eternal death, which is something he takes no pleasure in. He takes no pleasure in doing that. Um, Ezekiel 33:11 kind of says the same thing, but I got it in here just to kind of reinforce it. It says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? So this is showing his 
a disposition and it's showing the consequences really either direction because there's no neutral position in, in, in there's no such thing as neutral you're either in, you're either with Christ you're either in Christ or you're Christ's enemy there's no neutral when it comes to this thing you're either going to be have eternal life or eternal death and that's that's what drives us to tell people that we love like Brandon said today what's what's the most loving thing to do to let the person that you love believe what they want to believe believe something that's a lie believe a false religion or something wrong about God is that loving or is it more loving to tell them the truth even though it's very hard for us to do it's very difficult but that's the loving thing to do is to tell people the truth always tell the truth that's the quest that we're on and that's what we want to tell people and share with people what is real and what is is not real yeah that's 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 good yeah that's good that's good yeah it says here he is holding Israel responsible but takes no pleasure in doing so yet he must because he is perfectly just and first Timothy 2 3 through 4 says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth he desires that's that dispositional will again you can't confuse it with any of the other wills of God especially his decreed will God's desire is for all people to turn to him God's desire is for us to be holy as well God is not willing that sin goes unpunished because he is perfectly just so we have to we have to see all of the attributes of God and that's why that it's so amazing that God has shared each one of the attributes with us on the pages of this book and we know that he loves us we know that he is our savior that he died for us we know what Christ did for us and we know what's gonna be the result if we are not in Christ too he didn't leave anything out and he, he told us what we need to know and so it's so important for us to to highly highly study this book and do the work that we should do and then we wouldn't have any questions about what's the will of God for my life we really wouldn't because you're gonna know you're gonna know what the will of God is for your life if you know what this book says so all right so we've got some questions here at the end we finally got to the end of it and we got five minutes so perfect timing <laughs> it says first question in what way has God revealed himself in creation and in the Bible Any questions that's kind of a general question but the San Juans <laughs> yeah every time I see them yeah, that's right. He sh and what does that tell you about God? Just he's so magnificent and mm -hmm. amazing, and yeah, and beautiful. And plus the um, just nature all in itself. It's like the, all the nutrients we need to sustain our life. I mean, it's all perfect. It's perfectly yeah. perfect, and it's awesome. It is. It's mind blowing. Really. It is. And you make a, your point is so spot on because God could have made the world to just be brown and flat no color mm -hmm. just nothing to enjoy to see 
That's what I think uh, about fall. I'm like, yeah. God could have just made it winter. But yeah. no, he gave us the beauty of a sunset. He gave us the beauty of the leaves changing. All of that yeah. is on purpose. And it's just it's just awesomeness. That <laughs> it's is. so amazing. It is. And, and so he does that so that we can glorify him. And that's something that sometimes we fail to do is to glorify God not just in who he is and what he's done for us but in what he's the way that he's created things for us to enjoy even on this world such as that or a, a steak <laughs> you know yeah. imagine imagine if everything tasted like cardboard and God could have made us that way where everything tastes like cardboard but he didn't and he did that so when we're eating a steak and we're like oh this is amazing that we're supposed to really roll that into praise and glorify God even in that. And so it's these little things, right? This is prolonged, but you're sick. It's like when God gave the children this manna. And, you know, they could make anything out of it, but still, it was just the same thing. It, but it was all sufficient for their needs. So the fact that God made variety of things because he wanted to give us something to experience, you know. Yeah. And I think that in terms of the fact that he created everything different. A sn no snowflake is alike. No human is alike. The individuality to say that you as a person, that you are important, that you're separate from everybody else. And I think that is, we see that in the scriptures too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So we just ask, how does he reveal himself? The next question says, in what way has God hidden himself? How has he hidden himself? Or hidden certain things about certain things? In other words, his decreed will. Any, any thoughts or examples of that? That no one will know when the end times come. That's good a good one. one. That's a good Bingo. one. Bingo. That is a good one. Absolutely. Anything else? How he created and his appearance. Yeah, he gives us certain things, but not fully. Yeah. There's things that we just have to trust in Him to get through and pray that His will be done and that we're faithful in Him. So. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Like what we talked about. What job do I take? Who do I marry? There's all these decisions, you know, that we make. Sometimes, you know, God, you can't look up the book, you can't look in the Bible and, and see, you know, what car am I supposed to buy, you know, or what town am I supposed to live in, right? So there's, there's things like that. Salvation's one of them. We don't know who's going to be saved. We don't know. We don't know who's going to be lost, you know. And I think it's a dangerous thing to start pointing fingers, right? Unless it's something obvious, you know, somebody that that's obviously lost. But I'm saying, it's um, it it can be a dangerous thing in the wrong in certain certain situations and instances, right? So, yeah, mom. The uh, there is a uh, some people back in uh, Jonesboro, and it's the Church of Christ. I don't think they believe that here. They may, I don't know. But um, the Church of Christ, there was a, a, a certain time when they all believed that they were the only ones that were saved. And so um, they were the only ones going to heaven that ever, it, you had to be Church of Christ to be a Christian or everybody else was going to hell. And so my mom used to always tell a joke, you know, that whenever Jesus was escort, uh, showing you heaven, kind of escorting you through, that he, you know, you get, he gets to one room and he says, shh, be quiet, that's full of Church of Christ. They, they think they're the only ones here. You know? so, she used to always say that. So, 
Yeah. <clears throat> so the next question says, explain the difference between God's decreed will and his perceptive will. That should be an easy one, since it should be fresh on any, somebody's mind. Because it's going to be what it's going to be, and perceptive will is uh, we get to look and see. Yeah, that's what's revealed right here, right? It's what's revealed on, on the pages of this book. And this is a trick question, the last one, so careful how you answer it. I like to throw a, quick, a trick one in there every once in a while. It says, what is greater, God's will that people be saved or God's will that sin must be punished? Steve's smiling. He already knows. <laughs> Saved. Hmm? Saved. Saved? That's greater from our point of view. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want, right? Yeah. Sin yeah. has already been punished. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Steve, what was you thinking? Well, I was thinking that his decreed will that his will that sin must be punished was what brought about the cross yeah so that people could be saved but one had to perceive the other that's right they go they really go hand in hand right yeah. they have to there is no set there's no um saint, uh, salvation without there having to be punishment right mm -hmm. so there's there really neither this is a, that's why it's a trick question because they're they're equal they go hand in hand, um, just like all of God's attributes. God is loving, and God is just, and God is merciful, um, and God is wrathful. <laughs> so there's all these things that tie together, making God who He is, which is encouraging for us, because can you imagine trusting a God who wasn't just? You know, We all want justice. You know, If somebody murders our child, and we go to court, and the judge says, ah, you know, he's okay. I think I think he's changed. He said he told me in the back room that that he's changed his ways. So I'm not going to punish him. How would that make you feel? Or, or, or if somebody murdered somebody that you loved, and the judge says, ah, "I'm going to let him off." That would be an unjust just judge, right? Aren't Aren't we glad that God's not that way? <laughs> God's going to give people that deserve what they deserve. He's going to give them the, the punishment, and he's going to give the people who are in Christ what they don't deserve, <laughs> which is eternal life, right, through Christ Jesus. To kind of agree with Sabah here is that God could have just punished our sin in us. He could have. That's that right. It's a desire that people say that he was it is. great enough that he made another plan. It is. It is. Absolutely. That's why salvation is the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift. We have to understand God in, in the fullness of why it is that He had to give that gift, right? Alright, any last thoughts or questions or anything?